Hall of Fame broadcaster Marty Brenneman here, and he's the best storyteller in the game, and it's time to sit back, relax, and have some laughs. Welcome to the mayor's office, and here's your host, Sean Casey. Bam, back at it again, Chidge. Yes, one sir. One more time, brother. Yes, sir. Good, good to see you, man. You oh, I'm excited about this one, dude. I'm excited about this one. It's going to be a fun one. Our guest today, one of my favorite teammates, played with him in 2006, 2007 in Detroit. Uh, 16 big league seasons, 344 bombs. Pretty impressive. Almost 1,000 ribbies. Played for the Tigers, Yankees, Mets. Finished his career with the Marlins. Listen, when I was with him, he was the first ever, and I believe still the first ever, only, only person ever, 20, 20, 20, 20, bro. 20 triples, yes. doubles, yep. bombs, and bags. One of the yeah, greatest you know, seasons. You're doing something right. You can do that. One of the greatest seasons a single player has ever had in baseball history, and I did some other research. He's officially, this guy coming on, is the nicest guy we've ever had on the major's office. So that's 100%. 100%. Yeah. That's where I'm going next. There's a three-time All-Star, first off. They need to find new humanitarian awards for this guy. Four-time <laughs> Marvin Miller winner, Clemente Award winner, just got the Heisman Humanitarian Award 2021. Uh, pretty impressive. And let's we'll just bring him in. My, my, my good buddy, my teammate, Curtis Granderson. What's up, Randy? How you doing, brother? I am doing great. Appreciate the amazing intro. <laughs> Excited to be here with you today. Nice. Oh, dude, so great. Man, first off, I want to go – I want to – I want to look at what you're doing right now. What What's Curtis Granderson doing? Catch us up on, you know, what's going on in your life right now, brother. Well, the big thing, I'm in Chicago, which is home for me. Surprisingly, with all the teams that you mentioned, Casey, a lot of people don't know exactly where I'm from. <laughs> I think because I played in Detroit and started there and played in New York for so long, a lot of people assume I'm from one of those two places. But Chicago's home, so I'm finally back home. I'm here in this nice, warm winter months <laughs> here in the Windy City. Breaking in and taking in the cold and the snow. Finally, for the first time in a while, typically, like I've mentioned to you before, I'm usually going in spring training at this point in time. So finally getting a little snow and actually enjoying being home for all four seasons, which has been really cool. Nice, dude. I believe me. I'm up here in Pittsburgh, too, so I enjoy those four seasons, too. When it gets a little cold, I'm like, hey, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a character builder, bro. It's a character builder, you know? Dude, I want to talk thing- about your folks, man, because, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate enough for me – to get a chance to be around your parents. And you were obviously your rookie year was I was on my way out. You were on your way in and uh, you know, what great, wonderful people, both teachers. Can you talk about, you know, your life now, Grandy is you have so much impact on kids, so much impact on youth. Can you talk about what their impact on you uh, had so that you do what you do now in life? As you mentioned, both my parents were recently retired educators. They taught in the Chicago public school system. My dad was a K through eight PE teacher. My mom was high school science. And I think the couple things that watching the two of them be the individuals that they were rubbed off on me in so many certain ways was just how they treated everybody they came in contact with. The fact that you remember my parents is also mirror image that they also remember all my teammates. So the fact that I'm going to tell them I'm going to be on the show with you, the first thing they're going to say, please tell them I said hello. And then they're going to remember <laughs> a moment from the World Series or the playoffs or some some sort of memory from that. They, they always had that embrace where they made you feel as important and as comfortable as anybody else they met. And that, that definitely rubbed off on me. I mean, you know, as well as I did, Casey, you know, being around all the different individuals that we met throughout this game. The one thing I always tried to do is just 
make it like I'm like them, which I am. The only difference was my job title, but that made me no better or worse than anybody else. And all that stems from my parents. Were you good yeah, at you science? Were, science is tough, man. Your mom, your mom was oh, a science teacher? I love teacher? science. I actually you went did? to the state, state science fair. I ended up doing a science fair project in eighth grade. And they said, hey, if you do this project, you get a bunch of extra credit. So we did this project and then I win the one, like the local science fair. And I'm like, okay, great. I got the extra credit points. Great. Now I have to advance and I go to like the regional. Yeah. I'm like, all right, well, let me, let me just do it since I'm there. And I end up winning that. And now I end what? up going to the state and now I'm really focused because there they're giving out like money and scholarships and I didn't do as well there. <laughs> yeah, I, when I was trying to win, I didn't win. But then when I wasn't trying to win, I ended up advancing all the way through. So thanks in part to my mom for the science fair project. Nice. <laughs> Dude, Grandy, I didn't know you had those kind of skills, bro. I just... <laughs> those big poster boards, you know, cut yeah. off the letters, put them on there, all that stuff. And I didn't do the volcano. I didn't do the baking soda and the vinegar. <laughs> Everybody else was doing to. that. I was doing something different. That's great. Oh, it's so great. So you were like, you know, going back to yourself, you know, you went to University of Illinois, Chicago. And a big reason you went there initially was because you were playing baseball and basketball. I know you end up not playing basketball after your freshman year, but can you just talk about that for kids? You know, we talk about this a lot on this show, just about playing other sports. It seems like nowadays kids are just, hey, 24-7, 365, play one sport. And I, I you know, I'm not a big proponent of that. What, what's your take on, on kids playing uh, more than one sports? For me individually, I played multiple sports all the way up until my freshman year of college. And like you mentioned, Case, the reason I went to the Illinois at Chicago was they were going to give me an opportunity to try to walk on the basketball team and also fulfill my obligation as a scholarship baseball player. But all that stemmed from the age of six all the way up until the age of 18, 19 years old. So for 12 years of my life, I played baseball and basketball, which we just talked about. I also bowled. I ran track. I ran cross country. I played flag football because my dad wouldn't let me play tackle. <laughs> but all those sports wrapped in together helped me to become the athlete and the individual that I am today. If you look at some of the best players that are currently playing right now, Jacob DeGrom, teammate of mine, had an opportunity to play basketball at the Division One level. Mookie Betts bowls 300 games and <laughs> can shoot three-pointers mm -hmm. with the best of them. There's a reason why these individuals are so athletic and I put a lot of it towards all the different sports they played growing up because there's things you do in certain sports that you won't in another sport, but they translate and cross over. Right. No matter how much baseball we do and no matter how much speed training and conditioning, there's nothing like trying to guard somebody on a basketball court right. or trying to defend somebody on the football field or the hand-eye coordination that you do happen to pick up from trying to catch a ball with one hand and throw and doing all these different things. All of them go together. Mm. So play as many sports as you can for as long as you can until you realize this isn't the one for me because you just never know. I mean, I had teammates of mine I grew up with in high school that ended up growing to be six foot nine. Mm. So imagine if they would have stopped playing basketball at yeah. the age of 12. That, right. that would have been something that would have never been an opportunity for them. And eventually they found out, you know what? This may or may not be it for me. Right. Mm. Great point. It's staying right there, Granny. You're you're running the Players Alliance, which is you know really been an awesome thing, and what you guys are doing, trying to get the youth, uh, especially the black youth, involved with baseball. Can you talk about what is the goal of the Player Alliance, and and what when you guys go into those inner cities, what are you trying to get these kids to do? 
the biggest thing with the Players Alliance is we started that with, uh, unfortunately around the untimely death of George Floyd in 2020 when everybody was at home, you know, having nothing to do because we're in the middle of a pandemic and then all eyes were on this incident. And a lot of the black players came together, not for the first time, because we had been trying to do this for a few years prior before, but just things happened, life happened, games, seasons. We weren't able to consistently do it. But Cameron Maven, D. Gordon, and Edwin Jackson were the three individuals that helped spearhead this to bring together over 150 former and current major league and minor league black ball players together to say, we got to do a little more than just post something on social media. Just make this video. We want to make sure that there's opportunities that have benefited us that can ultimately benefit these communities, whether that's introduction to the game, whether that's getting an opportunity to play at the next level, whether that's college or hopefully potentially fingers crossed the professional level. But as difficult as it is, you can still have careers in this game, coaching, managing, umpiring, front office, scoreboard, tech, all these different avenues that this great game of baseball has provided for so many other individuals we want to make sure those opportunities are going to be available for the communities that we all grew up in, call home, and places that we played in, such as Detroit, where you and I played at, Case. Yeah. yeah. What is the biggest reason, though, Granny? Like, why why are not a lot of black players playing Major League Baseball? Like, what, what, is, what is that reason? Well, a lot of people think that there's not a lot of kids playing. And, and surprisingly, if you go around to all these different showcases and tournaments that are all over the U.S. right now that have become the big thing, <laughs> You do see a lot of black kids that are playing, especially a lot of black kids whose parents were playing at the big league level. For example, Cam Collier, whose father is Luke Collier, former oh, MLB man. player. He's one of the top kids in the country right now. CC Sabathia's son, Little C, is another top kid, just Stunning. signed to go to Georgia Tech. So these are just a handful of some of the players that are playing at the amateur level. And there's right. many more that where those came from. The biggest thing is you want to make sure that any potential challenge or obstacle that might be in front of these kids' opportunity are removed, such as the cost of playing all the travel, such as having the equipment. I don't know about you, Case, but the last mm. time you try to buy a, a metal bat, it'll, it'll shock you yeah. how much they 400 cost. bucks. It's crazy. 300 and, and bucks. You and you can't use it the next year. If you grow or your mm -hmm. age level or your league changes or they make a rule change, you can't use that bat again. So these are all just challenges just to step on the field, wow. let alone practice, play, train, travel, all that other stuff. So these are some of the things that we want to try to eliminate and make sure that, hey, if you want to play, right. you can play. That's the yeah. big thing. It's not going to be because you got priced out of the game. And unfortunately, that's where we are in some of these places. Are, are you finding that most of the groups who kind of, you know, you guys join with and where you're going to these places, are, are you sure that they're all being sincere and saying oh yeah we want to help you or because you know this day and age there's a lot of there's a lot of companies out there and everything it's just like oh we should do this or we should do that so we don't get in trouble have you found a lot of good assistance from from the 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 joint uh movements you've done with other places or have you found any struggles with 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 getting out there or for the most part have, have people helped you guys out enough for the most part, everyone has been all on board. The fact that you've seen so many individuals collectively come together and the star power behind it. We have MVPs mm. and Cy Youngs and World right. Series champs and all these different individuals, both old and young, top prospects and players that have just retired, all coming together and getting out there. So a lot of people want to partner with that. Great. But to your point, we also want to make sure that they're just not checking the box yeah. and saying, oh, yeah, we just did a great thing. Right. Check and we're point. done. 
it's been amazing to see the number of people that show up, including our non-black ball players, mm-hmm. players such as Cody Bellinger, Clayton mm-hmm. Kershaw, uh, Kevin Pillar, Brett Gardner, Adam Adovino, all were physically there when we did our cross-country 33-city tour that expand all over the country during COVID, handing out COVID supplies, handing out baseball equipment, and handing out food at especially dire time where mm-hmm. the food insecurity was so high. These players were out there next to the other black players in this game saying, I want to be a part of this. I want to help because I believe in this cause. And those have been great things to that's see. That's awesome. Grandy, that's so awesome, dude. A lot, a lot of, obviously, a lot of guys spearheading the Players Alliance, a lot of good friends of mine. I'm here wherever you – if you ever need me, I'm here for you guys. We're all fired up that you guys are, are spearheading it, and it's uh, just a wonderful thing. I, I want to rewind a little bit with you, brother. Um, you know, being from Chicago, you're, you know, you're, 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 Hey, I'm Chicago. You've always been Chicago, Chicago. So I'm doing the research. I'm like, man, Granderson loves Chicago. He must be a big Cubs White Sox fan. It turns out you're a Braves fan. Tell us about that. Like how is Curtis Granderson a Braves fan? As much of the Chicago love as I have, my, my sports affiliations are all over the place. Maybe that's the inner workings of the science. Like we talked about my mom. <laughs> something in the biology is off up there. So I'm an Atlanta Braves baseball fan. I'm a Kansas Jayhawk basketball oh fan, college hoop. I was a huge Buffalo Bills fan. My mom still has my starter pullover at the house. She still oh has gosh. it in the closet. So where, why, I have no idea where all these different teams came from. And that's how it is. But the Atlanta Braves, I became an Atlanta Braves fan back in like grade school time. I would come home from school excited. I didn't have any homework for the day. And one of my favorite TV shows, Saved by the Bell, (laughs) would be on unless the Cubs were playing a day game, Uh. (laughs) which was all the time back then. So I would be so disappointed that my show was disrupted (laughs) and not on because of the Cubs. So then I started seeing, well, the Braves are on the Superstation TBS at night, every night. I like this team, and I get to <laughs> still watch my Save by the Bell and watch some baseball, and they're doing well in the 90s, and it was just a match made nice. in heaven. Oh, that's so great, bro. Isn't that it's amazing what we'll do to root for teams? That, you know, they, you don't have to say Save by the Bell's not on, bam, I'm, I'm all of a sudden a That's it. <laughs> Change the channel, all that stuff. I mean, it didn't matter if it was Cubs versus Cardinals, big matchup. I was disappointed. Now, I didn't dislike the Cubs because of it, but I was – extremely disappointed that I couldn't see my episode with Zach and Kelly and Street <laughs> and Lisa and AC. I was yeah. like, oh, man, you know, I, I was really looking forward to that one. Even though I've seen it well. five or 15 times already, I still wanted to see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, so great, bro. It's so great. So after watching Kelly and Zach and all those guys, you end up you end up choosing University of Illinois, Chicago, which I've been fortunate enough to be at a few times with the Under, Under Armour All-American game. I was coached that with Billy Ripken a couple of times, and we would practice. We have our, some of our showcases there, Curtis Granderson Field. So, you know, I know you've given back to them too. Can you talk about your rise? You know, I, and I also saw, dude, I got a little dig for you, bro, going through 483 is unbelievable, first off. <laughs> but I saw you got second in the nation to Ricky Weeks because I, I won the NCAA <laughs> battle until 95. Just say, I got that on you. You know what I mean? I know. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> 
I had a two for the- twelve slump against Cleveland State that oh, dropped me from no. first to second. At the end of the and year, then, at the end, I, I, it was like about a month left in the season, and Ricky Weeks passed me. I couldn't catch him at that. Ah. Point. Oh my God! There's some guys sitting out home right now going, "I gave an over four on Granderson." This <laughs> <laughs> claim to fame, struggling, huh. and part of what it was, Cleveland State's field was small. And in my head, I'm trying to hit bombs. Mm. And I never, case you know me, I've never tried to hit home runs, but I saw it. It was all in front of me. And that <laughs> just messed me up. And I ended up dropping below uh, the 500 line, which is crazy to think about. Crazy. And ended up finishing where I did. Isn't that crazy, bro? To look at that number and go 483, it's just, it's, it's absolutely mind boggling. But your development there, Grandy, for your three years, can you just talk about what, what started to click for you in college? and then becoming a third-round pick for the Tigers? For me, something big, and hopefully for all of your audience that's watching, especially players that want to go to high school and players from high school that are looking to go to college, if the ultimate goal is for you to become the best player you can be, you have to have an opportunity to play. Plain and simple. There's no way I'm going to get an opportunity to improve if I'm sitting on the bench. Now, I still have to earn my ability to go out there and perform and earn a spot to be on the team, but I also have to look at my opportunities that are in front of me and say, this school has given me a chance to come. I'm going to be one of 50 players. I may not play. This school has given me a chance where I can possibly slide in right away. And that's what Illinois Chicago gave me the opportunity to do. In my three years playing there, I only missed one game. And the reason I missed that game, my head coach at the time, Mike D., came up to me and goes, I'm going to give you the day off today. And then after he gave me the day off, he goes, you've played every game that you've been here. I said, yeah. Goes, oh, if I would have known that, I would have let you play. I was like, oh, my <laughs> that was the only reason he gave me the day off that day. He just said, I'm going to give it off to you. Or else I would have played all three years consecutively. But oh so I missed God. that one game because of an off day. And that That's was amazing. it. What but, year was that? What year was that? That was the year I ended up breaking the, the, the finished second in title. So I didn't go over oh. that day. So the <laughs> average stayed the same. But if I would have had a couple of hits, that could have possibly bumped me up a little bit. So oh we God. ended up losing that game, too. So wow. it may have been a, a good thing for me. I may have struggled that game as well. Oh God, but, so- but all that was big. Like, I got a chance to play. I got a chance to work out. I got a chance to see where do I match up? Because you don't know until you step on the field. And in our conference at the time, we weren't the biggest conference. But we played the Big Ten. We played other schools from across the country. And when I got a chance to step on the field against Nick Swisher at number 24 Ohio State, and we're battling against them, and we're going up against them, and we beat them, the confidence Whoa. just builds and, and grows inside. You go, okay, wow, I, I can really do this. this. This hard work is actually paying off. I can see it. Let me continue to keep doing more of it. And all that translated into me becoming a non-drafted player out of high school to moving up the ranks mm. three years later and then being able to be drafted my junior year. But it all stemmed from getting a chance to be right. on the field to play. Right. Yeah, wow. Talk about uh, the one thing, too, but, you know, before we move on from that, is that you also graduated so you, and went back and finished your degree, right? And then you graduated mm-hmm. with a double major Business administration and business marketing, right? I mean, why, why, why did you do that? A lot of guys don't go back. A lot of guys don't go back to college. You know, why'd you end up going back? Even though my confidence was up, like, wow, I can hang with these guys. I never thought I would play Major League Baseball or play it for as long as I did. When I got drafted, this is the God's honest truth. I thought I would play for two or three years in the minor leagues, get released, and then go and put my degree to work. So education was still the most important thing for me. 
I'm going to finish. I told the Detroit Tigers when I signed my contract, they said, hey, we're going to send you to the fall instructional league. I said, no, I have classes registered. I'll go the following year. They said, okay, sure. So I wow. went back to school my senior fall. All my classes were registered. I missed about a week or two of school because, you know, the minor league season right. overlapped a little bit. Came back, finished that semester. Then I started looking at the spring semester, go, okay, I, I got to go to spring training here in March. Here's a 10-week course. I can take that one, get that one out of the way. Here's one of the first online courses oh. at Illinois, Chicago. Wow. Let me take that. And <laughs> that story in itself, I go to spring training. I have to go to the local library in Lakeland, Florida, get on their internet so I can access my class to be able to be in there and submit my work the way I want to. And then the final icing on the cake, the last final I had to take, I took in my Florida State League's manager's office. Wow. He sat in front of me. I took it. So he made sure I didn't cheat. He signed it. And then I ended up FedExing that back in wow. in order to graduate on time with my class. Now, back then, was there, was there any video like teach? Like, was there, was there, were there classes on video or was it just all oh, no. written? It, I, it was all written. I had to print stuff out so I could see it in front of me and then look at it. Then I had to go online. Do the you know submit my my word document? Yes. I had to submit my 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 quizzes and exams, all those different wow. things, and I had to wait to get a wow. grade. So I had to wait a couple of days to figure out if I actually passed wow. or not. Oh my and God. did that? And kids don't no know doing it from the room or any of that stuff. Kids don't know now too. You know what else we had to do that these kids don't hit save. Remember to hit save. If you don't hit save, you're gonna lose everything. <laughs> do you remember that? Ugh. Save as, you know, yes, I, had to title it, I had to save it as a Word document and yes. make sure that I could translate over so mm -hmm. I can move it from point A to point B. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, dude. That's so great. That is so great. You you talked about in the minor leagues, too. I know the minor leagues, listen, it's funny you have that mentality. Hey, two, three years, I'll play, and then, bam, I'll be in the working world. I got my degree. I'm going to be going to be good. And then 16 years later, 19 years <laughs> later, you're still playing Major League Baseball, you know, and having an unbelievable career. You know, it's, it's, it's funny looking back at that. But, you know, your, your minor leagues at some point, I, I remember uh, hearing you talk about how mentally you're like, you know what, I think, because it's a, it's a grind. The minor leagues is a grind and getting to the biggest grind. But mentally at one point, you kind of were grinding a little bit thinking, is this for me? Can you take us back to that time? And what was that lesson there for you, Grandy, that said, you know what, I am going to keep going. I am going to find a way to get to the big leagues. It's funny that we're talking all this stuff and me graduating and this topic that we're on right now about the mental side of it all happened in the same year. Okay. So I get drafted in 2002, play the short season, do really well, bat at like 344, made the all-star team. Our team went to the championships. Then the next year, I'm in the Florida State League, full season, ready to roll. I get off to a good start, make the all-star team. I'm taking my exam with my manager, all that good stuff. <laughs> and that summer in Lakeland, Florida, in the Florida State League, just started to wear on me in more ways than one. Outside of just the physical and the heat, the mental, there's no one at any of these games. If you've ever been to the Florida State League, there's two stadiums that do really well. That's uh, Dayton with the Cubs. And like Clearwater does well. Everyone else averages anywhere from 500 people or less. And keep in mind, these are spring training stadiums that can hold almost 10,000 people. So you have three to 400 people there that all you're seeing every day, every night. I'm only 22 years old. All of my other 22-year-old friends are off doing amazing things. 
whether they're going to a concert, traveling, just graduated, getting a job, doing this. And I'm playing in Lakeland, Florida, where everyone's right. calling me up going, hey, I'm at the Detroit Tigers game here in Chicago. <laughs> I don't see you here. I thought you got drafted by Detroit. So all of that is, is, is in my head go, man, I, I don't need to be here. On top of that, another funny thing, in Lakeland, Florida at the time, I'm staying in the dormitory that's still there in Tigertown. Oh, and those dorms were white tile floors, white brick walls, white ceilings. Oh, man. And you could keep any. Oh, it was a prison slash mental institution all wrapped in one. And, and, and the cell phone I had Nextel at that time didn't work inside because these buildings were built back during the 50s. So they're solid. They, they were built for, you know, army barracks. So I could barely use my phone. I could barely keep any food in there because if you had any leftover food, you got ants and roaches and all this stuff in there. So all that is blowing into my mind going, I could just go back home and, and do some other different things. But one thing that, that was key at that time is I got a chance to talk to two different individuals, the mental skills coach for the Detroit Tigers and one of my buddies who I'm still really close with to this day. And we talked about just non-baseball things, things to get your mind off of the game. Because every day when I was in Florida, I would be on the dorm where the stadium's right there. Then I would go to the stadium. Then I would come back to the dorm and the stadium's right there. So it was baseball, 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 baseball. And I just needed to talk about, hey, did you see the new Men in Black movie that came out? Did you try this new right. pizza? Did you, did you go to this concert? And, and those things helped me to get through the season. I played instructional league that year and then came back. And how crazy is this case? I was this close to quitting in 2003. I made it to the major leagues in 2004. Wow, bro. Wow. <laughs> That's nope. to tell, take when, us through that, man. What was that? Like, what was the call? Take us to the call. Take us what was going on when you got called up. So fast forward a year later, I'm in double a, uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania with the Tigers organization. We make it to the playoffs. We end up getting eliminated and, Every year at the end of the season, because my equipment was all worn down and beat up, let me toss that away, batting gloves, uh, cleats, gloves, and I'll get my new stuff for the next year and get ready for 100-plus games and spring training and all that good stuff. So now I just throw my cleats, throw my batting gloves, throw my glove away, and I get a call into the office, and they say, hey, Granny, you're going up to the big leagues. So I got to go to the garbage can and pull all my stuff back out <laughs> so I can get ready to make it up to Detroit the wow. next day to join the team. So that, that was my, my call up experience. So what, so what about what, who was the, who was the manager that called you up? So it was Rick sweet was the double a manager Rick sweet. The time in the big leagues was uh, Alan Trammell was the big league manager for the Tigers. Okay. Okay. Um, so what about your first hit? Tell take us through that first to bat or maybe your first to bat, then your first hit, or did you get a hit your first to bat? Didn't get a hit first at bat, play against the Minnesota Twins. And at that time, in like the, the 2004, 2005, the Twins were doing amazing. And then there was the White Sox the year after that who won the World Series in 05. So I got a chance to play against both of those teams. But no hits against the Twins. But I did get my first hit at home, my hometown of Chicago, against the White Sox. Oh, my gosh, dude. Awesome. That's wow. great. Awesome. Ah. And when the crazy part about it, this was before they started taxing us on the tickets and charging us. So I had about 80 tickets <laughs> and we're, we're losing that game eight to zero. Freddie Garcia is just carving us up, <laughs> dealing. I get asked to pinch hit in the ninth inning. I was like, oh gosh, here we go. Get up there. I roll over a ball that gets through the second base hole 
And this one section at, at that time, I think it was new Comiskey or whatever the name of it was yeah. just is going nuts. Now, mind you, we're losing eight to zero. At the time, <laughs> oh, but this one section is going crazy. And I ended up coming around to score a run. I thought we won the game, even though we lost. By a <laughs> oh, my lot. God. So that wait, was that my is, first major league hit. Bro, That's crazy. Bro, really quick. This is um, this is unbelievable. My first big league hit. I rolled a ball over second base for a knock at, at Comiskey Park. That's why we're doing this New Comiskey, yeah. <laughs> Look at you guys. <laughs> Wait, so you were playing in front of 200 people or whatever. When was the first time you got recognized, like, at a Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks where you were like, oh, my oh, God, man. wait, what, is my life it was different now? Oh, six. Yeah, I would say, yeah, definitely 06. I remember when I made it up to the big leagues in 0405, there was excitement for me to make it to the team. Then I struggled a little bit and they wanted to send me out. So I wasn't getting recognized right away. (laughs) Then once we got to 06 and our team was just rolling through everybody, uh, going to, because I I loved like Walmarts and Targets and Detroit had Myers. So, you know, I I love a good bargain shop. So I'd go there. (laughs) And people would be surprised to see, like, you do your own grocery shopping? Like, yeah, you know? I, I get yeah. all my, my, own, my bottle of water, all that stuff. I get all that good stuff and come back. So that was where it was like, oh, wow. And, and I started noticing, like, people would follow me a little bit because they didn't <laughs> yeah. expect it to be me. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that can't be him. He's not in the, in the bargain sale <laughs> discount aisle. Yep, that's where I'm at. I'm that's living in great. the $1.99 aisle. That was me. <laughs> nice. Oh, my God, great. It's so good. I want to stay there, bro, because this, for me, is when we first became teammates. And that year in 06 is, you know, just one of the funnest years of my career. You know, take us back to that year in 06 and, you know, some of the memories that you have. And also, at the end of this, I needed a, a Curtis Granderson, Jim Leland story. <laughs> All right. So, so I'll actually start with Jim Leland and finish with the story there. Okay. I, you know, Jim Leland takes over as managing that team in 2006. We had just come off of finishing right at 500 the year before in 2005. <sighs> and if you go back to 2003, the year I almost quit, that was the year the Tigers had 119 losses. So we were just bad all around. There was just a lot of bad stuff around the Tigers organization. But then here comes Jim Leland. And I remember in spring training, there's a lot of stuff happening. You have Justin Verlander throwing 100. Hey, he's making a team. You have my roommate, Joel Zumaya, throwing 101. He's making the team. And then I got a chance to make the team, which I didn't expect right away. And we continue to, to go out and we get off to this amazing start. And the place is rocking and we just start winning games and we're going. Then we have, if you think about like just the players on that team that did amazing things that didn't always get hyped up, but Placido Polanco, Maglior, Donez, Marcus Timps hit 30 home runs with 300 at bats that year. Just under 30 home runs with 300 at bats. You know, Ian, uh, uh, Inge, Pudge. Kenny Rogers, you know, coming out, doing amazing things. So you add all that, and then we get you brought into the mixed case, and now we're going. No one's anticipating we can beat anybody, especially the Yankees or the Red Sox. We beat them. We roll through them. We get a chance to go to the playoffs. We beat the Yankees again, and then we sweep Oakland to get to the World Series. The only disappointment there was us not winning the World wow. Series, especially since we had swept St. Louis earlier that regular season. Wow. But that's what shows you how crazy this game is that the best team doesn't always win. And then wrapping up with Jim Leland's story, 
if you remember, Casey, we had our own plane. The Detroit Tigers oh, yeah. owned a plane with the Detroit Red Wings because they owned ah, both teams. Yeah. And it was a really comfortable plane. We had couches and chairs and tables and all that good stuff. And I'm a sleeper. I sleep on any plane. As soon as we take off, I'm out. And I wake up and, and you know how you do a normal flight. They come on and they say, put your seatbelt, do this. No smoking on the plane. FAA regulations, all this. <laughs> so I'm asleep and I wake up. You're like, you, you know the smell of a cigarette. Like, you just know. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Leland's just standing over me smoking a cigarette on the plane, 30,000 feet in the air. And I'm like, I don't think we should be smoking on this plane, but I'm a rookie on this team. I can't tell him that. So but that was my flight. But those old seventies movies where people are smoking heaters on the plane, flying from destination to destination. But that might've been part of the key to our success. Having Leland walk up and down that lot, up and down the aisle, smoking those cigarettes. Oh my gosh, dude. That is so great. It is so great. Hey, Leland, I remember one time we we were playing, we were playing like, uh, Texas Hold'em. It was me, Leland, uh, Carlos Ski, and Maglio. And I remember Leland just crushing heaters for like a. We were on our way to a West Coast trip. I'm like, man, this guy is gonna be a long trip. It was like just annihilating heaters for like four hours. I'm like, hey, he's a skip. I'm not. I go. I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how he how he does that on a commercial flight. And if and one thing you don't remember, Case. <laughs> In spring training that year, he made a promise to either his son or his grandson or somebody that he was going to quit smoking that year, and he did not fulfill that promise by any means. Oh my god! Hey, Grandy, I, I I have another story. You you were involved, but I don't think you remember this part. So you and I come out to a game. We're in Detroit. Chad Durbin starting, and you and I used to come out and do our sprints early. You know, what I mean, get get it in. I remember like six forty five or something like that. And we're coming out to do our sprints, and Derb's going out to throw his pen to get ready for the game. And uh, and and Leland grabs him. He's like, "Hey, Derb, let me talk to you real quick." So I'm I'm just hearing the conversation as I'm walking up. He's like, "Hey," he's like, "Hey, listen, last start, you're walking the house. It was a three pack three pack game. Almost killed me." He's like, "Can you throw strikes tonight? Make sure it's a two pack game, so I don't have a heart attack." <laughs> That was the motivation you needed sometimes, like just be blunt and honest and go like no sugarcoating it. You got to do better because I don't have enough cigarettes to make it. through. Oh. This <laughs> so good, dude. Oh, my God. Just that was so him. good. I, I still that 2016 dude forever will be etched in my mind. And, and you being a rookie in Verlander yep. and you guys, it was just a fun team. It was a great mix of veteran players and young guys. And, you know, it was just uh that was it. Was a great ride, man. I, I wish we would have done a little better PFP during that during thing. Grandy, do you take a, take me back to oh, one play because I never asked you about this. Was that game four or game five in in St. Louis? It was like a tie game. It was a routine ball to right, and you slipped. Like what happened on what happened on that play? It just yeah, man. You know, uh, so, someone asked me about that because if you remember Bush Stadium, that was a brand new stadium that year. That's right. And we're playing there in October. It's misty. It's rainy. It's all this stuff. So I'm going back for a ball, cut, slip. And I remember they asked, hey, was there was the ground messed up or anything? I said, no, I just lost my footing on it. And the it's amazing how baseball kind of runs in cycles. I think there was a highlight of the Tigers playing the Cardinals back in 68 and Kurt Flood slipped on a ball in the outfield what? and then i end up slipping obviously my name is curtis Whoa. On the ball in the outfield 
How crazy is that? That's crazy. Wow, that's crazy. Yep. Have no idea how I ended up slipping. Craig Monroe dives for a ball that just misses his Oh, my gosh. Half an inch. Him to the gap. Oh Half an inch. All those little things. So many you know, plays. I, I, I always wish, Grandy, that we could have got back to game six because when I was like, yo, Kenny Rogers was unhittable. He was just throwing nasty up there. And I was like, man, if we can get back to Detroit for game six, we got Kenny going six. You know, you just never know. Maybe Verlander comes back for a second. You don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just, right. you know, all these years later, bro, it still goes through my head like, man, I wish that team was so good. We were so loaded. It was just, it was ridiculous. That was, that was the one thing where in every other sport, off days are your, the thing oh. you look forward to. In football, off days, you can heal up and get back to it. Basketball, we can get heal up and get back to it. And I think we had seven days off after sweeping Oakland. And that was the one thing, because if you look at what we did offensively against the Yankees and against Oakland, we were unstoppable. And then all of a sudden, we couldn't hit. You were the only one that were hitting. You led the entire team that whole World <laughs> Series. And if you think about the players that were on that team, oh. Hudge, Hall of Famer, was struggling to hit. Carlos Guillen, struggling to hit. Craig Monroe, myself, Brandon, all of, like none of us were hitting. And, and it wasn't like we were facing flamethrowers are facing guys that were just blowing it by us. We just couldn't swing the bats. And I think that seven days had a big part to do with it. Yeah, no doubt, dude. No doubt. Um, so bro, I mean, you, it's 2006, you're coming out party. Like I said, 2020, 2020, first off, I have, you signed something for, for me and I, I, it's still out there somewhere. I think one of the clubbies has it. I'm like, where's my Graders in 2020, you know, piece that I have. So I got, I got to get a hold of that somewhere. But so you play the next few years until 2009 in, uh, in Detroit, have some great years. You know, obviously you guys were good teams, Leland, your manager, all that. Um, and then you head to New York, man, you end up going to the Yankees. Can you take us through that whole thing? How you got to New York and the beginning of, you know, you're, you're, you realizing, man, this isn't Detroit. This is a whole different ballgame plan for the New York Yankees. The whole trade deadline or trade situation that happened, I didn't want to believe it was happening. I was actually furniture shopping on the day I got traded. And I left my phone in the car, come back. I got 30 messages saying, hey, congrats. You've just been traded. I was like, no, no, no. Because at the time, all the text messages were friends, family, and just extended friends. I hadn't had a text from Leland or Dave Dombrowski, who was the manager at that time, Brian Cashman, or Girardi with the Yankees, or even my agent, Matt Brown. None of them had communicated with me. I was like, oh, this is just a rumor. This isn't true. This isn't really happening. And then I'm getting more texts, more texts, more texts. I'm like, this can't be happening. No one has called to let me know. And then finally, later that evening, the first call came from the Yankees. Then I finally got a call from the Tigers. And I was like, oh, wow, this, this actually happened. And I was loving Detroit so much that I was about to buy like a second home there that offseason. Wow. I was coming there for my charity basketball game. I had set up with a realtor. I was ready to look at places that January. And I think I got traded in October or I'm sorry, December, I think it was about a month prior. So now all of a sudden I'm playing in Yankee Stadium and I think we opened up against the Tigers. Oh, I mean, wow. You can't write all this stuff up any Dude, different. What was that like for you emotionally? Oh, well, luckily we were in Yankee Stadium. If it was in Comerica, it would have been uh. more of a challenge, I think, on my end. So luckily I was in my new home, but we're facing Verlander, who <laughs> him and I both made the team together. And I was like, oh, how's all this? And some of the uh. other players I've just been traded for are now flip-flopping and we're right. on the team against each other. 
So luckily I had family and friends that were in attendance. So that helped out. And I just had the Yankee, like four horsemen to take control. And I just had to sit in the back. Jeter, Posada, Pettit, Rivera. I didn't have to be the guy, not like I was in Detroit, but those guys are the guys. Just let me kind of fill in and do what I need to do. And oh yeah, we got A-Rod and Cano and Tashera and (laughs) CeCe, all those guys, you know? So I just sat back and chilled. And I think the first time I realized I was a Yankee was when we went on the road. And you know, Case, when you take batting practice on the road as the road team, the stadium may or may not be that fill unless full unless there's a giveaway or something and once you come off the field they get ready to start setting up the field for the game and they put the video on and all that good stuff and we come off the field and it was like a standing ovation for batting practice and i was looking around and the place is half full uh-huh. for batting practice <laughs> to see those guys wow. that that's when i realized I'm like this is different than anything else i've ever seen out wow. there before okay. and that was part of like okay i gotta i gotta be slightly different i don't have to change anything or have to play differently i just got to be slightly different that was it yeah the cool thing as a growing up as a yankee fan and being a fan of you in general but can you just you get there and this is a really cool thing case they do the roll call at yankee stadium and that outfield you got curtis granderson brett gardner and nick swisher just like three of probably the biggest fan favorites who have ever played in New York, you're included in that, by the way. Everybody loved you who played here in both cities, <laughs> or both towns. But what was it like the first time you got the roll call where they're chanting your name before the game starts? You know how that works, Case? You've seen that. You've uh, been there. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's like, crazy. Even as visiting players, we're like, oh, here comes the yeah. roll call. We're, and you guys were your own little yeah. crew, too, because everybody could see mm-hmm. that you guys were friends, all three of you. You, you didn't yeah. even need, just as a fan, but sorry, go, go for it. No, that that crew, I mean, you mentioned Nick Swisher. I told you, I played against them in college, and now we're teammates with the Yankees. And then Brett Gardner's coming up into his own. So the three of us were were out there just handling the outfield as best we can. And when we rotated a lot, too, Gardner would be in center, I would be in right, left, and it would be a flip-flop. So we just moved and, and, and kept doing what we needed to. And funny part, interesting story here, as popular as the road, or as the, um, you know, the, the call, roll call was, I hadn't heard it because I would always be leading off with the Tigers. So every time we played in Yankee stadium, I didn't know it was going on. And then all of a sudden they said, Hey, you got to get ready for the roll call. And at first I go, and I had to look at footage. Go, Oh yeah. That like, I think there was a game. I didn't start maybe against CC or against Pettit one day. And I vaguely remembered it, but every other time I'm in Yankee stadium, I'm leading off the game. Right. So I'm focused on trying to face Clemens, or face, you know, all these guys up there. So I didn't know. And then they go, okay, what are you going to do? And I'm like, oh man, I had just watched an episode of Sanford and Son. And I remember Fred <laughs> Sanford doing the uh, this. Yes. And that's where that came from. That's how I ended awesome. up doing that. Wow. Yep. Oh my God. That is so great, man. That, that, that must have been a unique experience. I know for, for players that, you know, I played 12 years in the big leagues. I, I ended up, I ended up, was fortunate enough to play in Boston and feel that rivalry, but you either want to play in Boston or, or New York at yeah. some point in your career, you know, and for you to do that for all those years is really cool. You talked about the four horsemen, the juggernaut, the guys, you know, Posada and Mo and, and, uh, and, and Jeter and, uh, you know, you and Pettit, you know, can you talk about Jeter, you know, cause I know you had a good relationship with Jeter, but you know, it's, it, I know for, as a player, 
you know, it seems like, hey, you know, he's kind of Derek Jeter. I don't even know if dudes are friends with him or not. I'm like, is anyone friends with this guy or is he just doing his own thing? Can you talk about your relationship with Jeter and like what he having that first that front row seat, seeing him every day? What did he really mean to that clubhouse and what did he mean to that city? You faced him and you heard these stories about just how good he is. So you just assume some people are just that good. Him, Michael Jordan, Kobe, they're just naturally, like, no matter what you do, they're, they're that good. And then you get to play with them and you go, okay, that's why he's that good. The work and the effort and the detail that he puts into everything from just getting prepared for the game to even his routine is it, it, the same. He still eats a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before every game because that's how he started his career in rookie ball when he got drafted. That had become his routine. So you could imagine in Yankee Stadium before the game, there's steak, there's shrimp, there's lobster. <laughs> Here's Jeter with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh my God. Getting ready to go out there and get three or four hits today for the game. So, so that was fun to watch and see. And the biggest thing that I respected the most watching him just move about is I would say he's probably had a couple thousand teammates over the course of his career. And he made every one of them feel the same, whether you were there for a day or you were his teammate from start to finish. He would introduce himself. He would say he's here for you if he needed you. He would joke with you. He'd be serious with you. And he was always the same. It didn't matter. And that's something very difficult that people don't realize because you have to understand he has to know that this player is not going to be with us very long. This player is about to get traded. This player is about to get released. Right. So I don't need to get too involved with that player. And he never did that. And that was the one thing that I really respected about him. Wow. Yeah, man. We all respected as, you know, from afar, you respected him. But it's cool to hear teammates that played with him, you know, what he was really like. And that peanut butter jelly thing is so awesome because, you know, in New York, you guys were probably, you know, you were, you were fed like kings. <laughs> so to get the, you know, the gif and the freaking smuckers out and make yourself a nice uh, town talk, <laughs> you know, you know a, um, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches is amazing. Grandy, what about you, man? Your evolution as a player, because playing at Comerica Park, that's the reason you were 20, 20, 20, 20. You, that park loves triples. Especially when well, that doesn't love it for a guy like me, it loves it for a guy like you. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, you'd hit, I remember that year, you'd hit in the gap. I'm like, nope, oh, triple, another triple for Granny. Like, this is ridiculous. But then you went to the Yankees and you got this short porch. And all of a sudden, I look at your numbers and I go, ah, something a little different's happening here. 2011 he hits 41 bombs, leads the league in RBIs, which you wouldn't think of Curtis Granderson, right? Leading off. Next thing you know, 2012, 43 bombs, 136 ribbies. Kevin Long's your hitting coach. Your swing changes a little bit. You know, it started, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, it was the, maybe the two-hand finish or, or whatever it was. You, you, you started sitting on your back leg more. Can you talk us, take us through that? What did you do in New York that changed it up a little bit? It was interesting being in, in Comerica, as you mentioned, the gaps were so big oh. and there was so much foul territory. So this was before the shift and everything. And if I were able to get around the ball and beat the first baseman and remember the, the physical state, uh, like Zeke of most first baseman in 2004, five, six, seven, a lot of them were bigger individuals, not as athletic, not as agile. So if I can beat him, that's down the line. That's the furthest throw in the field, and I'm going. And the reason why I got so many triples actually started in college. Mm. I'm playing in college in UIC, 
And there was, you know, a lot of hype on watching baseball highlights, watching guys pimp home runs. And our coach said, hey, you got to run a double out of the box. Let them stop you. And sure enough, I just had that mentality. I'm going until they stop me. If it's a home run, then I'll slow down and I'll jog. So I'm out of the box on balls that are homers or doubles or triples the same way. And then I either slow down or I keep going. And that's why I was able to get the third so frequently and so easily. It all stemmed from starting in college. doesn't mean that I didn't want to admire any of my home runs. I just never hit them that far. I didn't want to be stuck at first base when I should have been at third base if the ball didn't go out of the ballpark. That was all it was. So now fast forward. Now I'm in Yankee Stadium. And at the time, my swing didn't change too much until the end of my first season where I felt like, man, I'm just not clicking the way that I should be. And I said, hey, K-Long, I need to talk to you about some stuff. Is there something we can work on? And Kevin Long said, I was actually going to wait until the end of the season but since you brought it up, let's go to work on it now. And how crazy is this? I didn't, because of that conversation, they sat me for the next two games against the Texas Rangers in Texas. Said, hey, let's go to work. Let's get in the cage. Let's do all this. We started the two-handed finish on the swing. The reason I had a one-handed finish was because I saw Griffey growing up. I thought it was cool. There was no reason behind it. I just thought he did it. Like, I want to do that. So now we're getting to the two-handed swing And the reason we did that, Kevin Long said, if you do the one hand, it gives you an opportunity to reach, to go after those pitches you think you can hit, but you really can't. With two, I have to let the ball get a little bit closer to me. Mm. So I'm in the batting cage. We put the ball on the tee. I take my first two-handed swing and I go, that was terrible. (laughs) And I'm like, this is is not going to (laughs) work. And the reason why Kevin Long is as good as he is my mindset is that was terrible. He goes, that was it. You're right there. You're right on it. <laughs> All right, let's do it again. Put wow. the ball back on the tee. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Wow. And it started to go. That confidence that he instilled from whether he was faking it or not, from that first swing to every swing after that, it was the reason why, like, let's go. If it's an 0 for 5 day, he's going to find something positive out of there. If we lost, he's going to find something positive. If you're not getting hits, well, let's see. Well, hey, you're getting bad calls. You're, they're playing great defense behind you. It's not mechanical. These are all things that Kevin Long instilled into me, which allowed me to make that jump and realize if I'm struggling, it may not be as bad as I think it is. And there's still a lot of great things that I have to remember. And all of a sudden, we learned how to pull the ball the right way to keep it fair. I didn't necessarily hit the ball any further. It's just that, as you mentioned, Yankee Stadium was a little bit smaller. And all of a sudden, those balls that used to be doubles and triple in Comerica now became home runs in Yankee Stadium. That's impressive because that's not easy to do. Like, you know, we look at Tatis this year who had the arm injury. He's got the one-hand finish, then he's hurt. So it's like either sit or go with two hands. Well, he dominates with two hands. And I'm trying to tell people that's not easy. That's not after having all that muscle memory one-handed. To go just two-handed is not the easy. So, I dude. Much love to you, bro, and Kay Long for sticking with it. And, right. you know, it ended up well, having Case, the, your you guys, legacy in New York now is, is huge because of that. Yeah, and you guys had to – the trust level you have to have, both of you guys, you've changed some things in your swing before, Case, but to say, hey, we're going to change your swing, and don't worry if you don't get results for the first week. As, a, as an athlete, aren't you like, what do you mean? If I go 0 for 10, does that mean you're going to bench me or not bench me? Like, right. you got to get past that. And this, and that this fear, was in right? August, I think it was. Like, July or August, so it's not like they were in spring training making this change. We're trying to make it oh to the playoffs God. at this time. So we make the change. We do that. 
And I'm telling you, if, if Kevin Long would have looked at me and said, hmm, hey, move back or move forward. If he would have done that, I would have been done. I, nope, I wouldn't have done yeah. it. I would have went back to what I was used to. But the hype that he gave me after that first swing is that sealed it. That was it. And then we took off from that point. Wow. That's unbelievable, man. That's unbelievable. CC Sabathia, is he a Hall of Famer? And why? A- absolutely. There, there's a couple things. When, when people talk about him not being a Hall of Famer, there's things that are out of his control. Well, he only won World, one World Series. Well, he's not the only person playing. You know, he has to be on these teams that get an opportunity to do it. So let's throw that out the window. The number of strikeouts, the Cy Youngs, this top Cy Young finishes, all those categories and the wins. And, and again, you know, wins are some of those, those categories that are team oriented. He's done. He hasn't had missed considerable amount of time. He's played for a number of teams. He's been on bad teams and good teams and good teams and bad teams. And he's always been consistent across the board. I don't see how you can say he's not in comparison to all the other left-handed pitchers that are currently in there. Everything that he does lines up right along there with all those other left-handed greats. I agree, man. For me, after – when you face guys in the big leagues, you know who Hall – and if they put up the numbers, you know who the Hall of Famers are. For me, CeCe's a Hall of Famer. Just having faced him, knowing that, okay, that's a little different. That's a, what he's doing right here is a little different. I agree with that. So, bro, you, 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 you make your mark in New York. You end up going to New York again, but this time with the Mets. And that, that, that transition doesn't happen a lot. Chichi and I were talking about that. Not a lot of guys go Yankees, then Mets. And, you know, it still felt like New York still loved you. They, they, it's like Curtis Granderson, wherever this guy goes, you, you love this guy. It's, you know, it's chocolate, vanilla ice cream, whatever. You, you always love it, you know? So can you talk about that, like going to New York, and what was that like for you now playing for the Mets? I, you know, I'm a free agent that offseason, and I'm coming off of two injuries that year, so I didn't get a chance to play to the level that I wanted to. I got hit in the hand twice. How, how crazy is that? Wow. So now I'm a free agent. We're not sure how it's all going to play out, and then the Mets call. And I go, oh, yeah, there's that other team here in New York. Because when you're with the Yankees, it's all Yankees and it's all American <laughs> League or Boston, like you said. And at that time, Baltimore was very good. So it was all that. And in t- Tampa, it was, it was a fight amongst all of us there in that AL East. That's where your focus was. Unless you're playing the Subway Series for that two to four games, that's it. So I had no idea what the, Yan- or what the Mets had been doing for my four years being with the Yankees. Now, all of a sudden, they're interested and they're coming at me and they're talking. And I said, well, I've been here. You know, I, I know how to get to the stadium. You know, when we play in the Subway Series, I just drive there. I didn't take the subway. So I could probably stay in my same apartment, which I actually did. I actually <laughs> rented the same place I did with the Yankees. I rented the same place cool. with the Mets. And then now I signed Great. with this team. And uh, we, we struggled the first year in 14, just trying to get back to it. And I, it's very similar to 06 with the Tigers. No one ex- expected it. No one anticipated it, and all of a sudden we get off to this hot start. We're rolling. We're going. We're winning. We're beating teams. And then we make one big trade. We bring in Cespedes, and it, we just take off from that point, and that place was rocking. Wow. I always tell people this, that between the two teams, Yankees and Mets, in terms of noise, like the Yankees get loud. Don't get me wrong. They're one of the loudest stadiums. The Mets, because, and this is just my opinion, because it hasn't been so frequently, when they do get a chance, it steps up. Now, on the 
flip side, when you struggle with the Mets, it's one of the loudest places you <laughs> yeah. can play in, too. Yeah. The boos are th- through the roof. They, they want to kill you. They want everything that they can do. But when they win, it is absolutely amazing over there in City Field. It, it was truly fun to be there and watch unfold. And they had a mascot. I love mascots. So <laughs> I was happy to have another Mr. mascot Red. again. What do you remember about that 2015 run that you guys had at the World Series? You know, what sticks out for you? The trade deadline. So my trade happens in the winter, and I don't think it's true. There's no way it happens. And then when we trade for Cespedes, literally 359 on the dot. We're about to go on the field for batting practice, and no trade has been announced. All right, let's get ready to put our uniform on and go on the field. We got a good team. Let's make it go. Someone goes, hey, we just got Cespedes. And someone goes, who? <laughs> like, Joanna Cespedes? I was like, no way. Like, that would have popped. And now all of a sudden we're on the field and, like, things are starting to happen. People are talking about it. We get Cespedes. And like, oh, we got Cespedes. And then it just went and rolled and, and, and just took off. He is a true – you asked me about CC. Is he a true Hall of Famer? Absolutely. Cespedes is the best – five tool player i've ever seen wow hands down that's amazing he can run when he is ready to run you have to watch highlights of him watch him run a triple case you've seen me do triples he is like a sports car on those windy roads in in like the in, in europe and stuff he hits these corners and he drops and he just starts going and he's at third so fast he can throw a ball from the warning track to home plate play he can hit homers up into the fourth deck he hits for average he hits for powers he has gold gloves he's the true definition of a five tool baseball player wow and he had somebody make a cespedes walk-up song that was the coolest thing that year (laughs) somebody actually (laughs) sang a song and then just said cespedes the whole time while he was walking up to the plate that team took over new york beyond any other sports team that has taken over the new york there was they were bigger than the Yankees. They were bigger than the Knicks when the Knicks are good. They were bigger than the Rangers. That was that was an amazing run you guys went on, man. Dude, we've named we've that named was, that so, was so much fun. Grandy, we've named so many great guys that you've played with. Who's the best player you ever played with? In your oh, opinion, the best. Wow. <laughs> Let's see. If I go through the whole list, best, I'd have to say, yeah, I'd have to say Jeter just because of the longevity. And to do it in New York for as long as he did with all the pressure and everything, good, bad injuries, having to win every year. And he still kept go- doing it and did it all the way up until I think he was, was he, was he 40 when he played his last year? I think so. I think he yeah. was. Yeah. You know, to, to do it for as long as he did, um, it was amazing to see him do it. And there wasn't any change, you know, physically he looked about the same. You know, his swing was about the same. He was still playing shortstop. You know, they hadn't, they hadn't moved in the first base or anything like that. He was still doing all the things he did from day one, which was amazing to see. Wow. So what, what best hitter you ever played with? If he's the best the all best hitter. Player. Yeah. Miguel Cabrera, best hitter. Uh, the things that he was able to do going to the opposite field and the opposite field with power. He, he did it so easily. In Comerica, remember, he's going to the area where I'm getting my doubles and triples, and he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark. As a righty, as a righty. (laughs) As a righty. That's where my strength is. He's going to that way, and he's just doing it so easily. 
you know, he ends up winning the, the triple crown, which if you think about that, like that doesn't happen. When's the last time that has happened? When's the next time it's going to happen? You know, you start looking at players who might be able to do it. They're, they're missing this or this player is missing that. Like he, he was able to do it in Comerica of all places, not Yankee Stadium, not Wrigley Field, not Baltimore in a place that's not Homer friendly. And he did it there. So he, he, he just did things and he had so much fun doing it. He worked, he worked, but he just was he was a big kid. He came up at such a young age. That kid was still in him. And that's part of the reason why I think he's had so much success. He knows the game is serious, but he keeps it fun. Look up any highlights when he's playing defense or he's on the base pass or he's in the batter's box. He's having fun. So, again, to everyone watching out there, you have to keep this game fun. I love that. I love that. That is, that is so true. Talk about, um, for you, Grand. you came in, you, you got called up 04, 05, 06 is your rookie year. You finished in 2019, so you've you played 16 seasons in the big leagues. And for me, the game has changed a lot. Can you talk about the state of the game right now in 2022 and what has changed in your opinion? There's a lot of that's changed. Uh, I was asked what would be one thing I would do differently, and I was caught in the era where you lead off, you try to see as many pitches as you can, you try to run the opposing pitcher's pitch count up, to hopefully get that pitcher out of the game to bring in the bullpen. And at that time, the middle bullpen wasn't very difficult. You can do pretty well against them. It was the closer you didn't want to face. But that middle side, guys, those are the ones you definitely wanted to face. So as soon as we get the starter out, hey, we're going to have a great day out there. As my career started to finish, that starter could come out in the second inning, and that guy coming in after him might be even better than that. (laughs) So (laughs) that was one thing that was – I couldn't make that adjustment before I finished because I was still batting in the top of the lineup, even when I was in Miami. And if I, the one change I could have done is realize that no matter what that pitcher is coming out when they're ready for him to come out. And if I would have been a little more aggressive towards the end of my career, especially at the top of the lineup, that could have been something that would have helped me out because I, it didn't matter if I saw 10 pitches or saw one pitch, that pitcher is coming out probably in the third inning anyway. So let me do that and take advantage of that good pitch that I can get to hit early. And then I could have probably done a little bit more damage because now once you get O2 on these pitchers, their put away stuff is just so amazing. I mean, you, you don't have much chance against a 93 mile an hour cutter, a 94 mile an hour changeup. You know, those were pitchers fastballs when I was coming up. Yeah. So all that stuff made it challenging. And it's amazing to watch the hitters be able to try to adapt. Pitching's always going to be a step ahead, but watching hitters come up and be able to adapt to it, it is part of the reason why you do see so many strikeouts and the averages are low, just because the pitching is so good. I mean, we talked about that 2016 with Verlander and and, um, uh, Zumaya both throwing 100. To have two players on your team throwing 100 back in the 2004-5-6, unheard of. Now the starter's at 100. The guy coming after him's 100. The closer's 100. The lefty specialist's 100. It's a, cha- it's a challenge for him. To hit. And it's moving. It's not straight. Yeah. It's 100 and it's doing this. So, do you, Grady, you know, good do you luck ever, as, as a hitter, like, and this is a great I mean, question to ask you, is like, do, do you ever get used to that velocity? 
Like, are you ever like, okay, this now this guy is 97. That looks like 90. You know what I mean? Like, do you ever get used to the velocity seeing it every day? You get used to the velocity. It's the movement, I think, is the, the deception. And that's the part you can't pick up. Before it was 100 and it was straight. I can figure that out. I can time up the best of them. I hit fastball. That's one thing I always did. It didn't matter who was throwing it. I could catch up to a fastball. But now it might cut. It might sink. It might fade. It might do all that stuff. And they still have the straight one. That plus they've learned how to pitch up in the zone. Before, Casey, if you remember, when they threw a pitch up, they were wasting it. So they probably yep. threw it up here. Yeah. So I could see it. I could lay off of it. Now they're throwing it in a good spot where you think you can hit it and you just can't get to it. And that's one thing that pitchers have done an amazing job of, of pitching right at the top of the zone with velocity. Before, they didn't do that. Wow. Wow. Impressive. It's really cool for you, bro, to see – you come in with the pitchers. Like I said, for us to have Verlander and Zumai on our team, I'm like, dude, this is unheard of. And then now everyone's got this guy's throwing out your up. But for you to be able to play and see that evolution, that that that's pretty cool. Dude, the end of our show, we just we, what we do is we we do uh we play two little things. Um, we do this thing called 9090 at the end, but we also do a thing, who did you own and who owned you? So who did you own and who owned you? Ah, <laughs> uh, who did I own? I love placing Bartolo. Bartolo oh, really? Bartolo, no way. Oh. And I got to be teammates with him twice, both with the Mets and the Yankees. So how crazy is that? Wow. The reason I love Bartolo, Bartolo was throwing fastballs. It didn't matter. So whether I was facing him after his Cy Young year and he was throwing 98-99, or I faced him at the end and he was throwing 88-89, he was still throwing <laughs> fastballs. And like I said, I hit fastballs, so I love facing Bartolo. Um, guys, I didn't like facing Scott Downs. I, I could not stand Scott Downs. Scott Downs. Wow. He was one of them. Um, and then Brad Hand uh, towards the end. I faced Brad wow. Hand as a starter once, and I was like, okay, that's not that bad. And once he moved to the bullpen, him and Scott Downs were two guys I just couldn't pick up, partly because I saw him once, maybe a month, yeah. and I couldn't get into a rhythm. And two, they just they threw inside to me, and they threw away. Slut. And as a lefty, those two seams in, those are the, the pitches that gave me the most trouble. Bro, it's so funny. The, the guy of all the people I had success against and everything, who just struck? Steve Klein. I don't even remember him. Steve Klein, lefty mm -hmm. specialist. Yep. Same thing. He could crisscross the plate. He'd throw me sinkers in, sliders away, and he just kept opening up that. And I it kept leaking that front shoulder. And, and next thing you know, I'm like, I, I cannot hit this guy. But it's funny you say, you know, those no. two lefties, downs and hands, same guys. They can kind of crisscross. They can sinkers in, sliders away. And that's that's the, I guess that's the kryptonite for us lefties. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, hated it. I love the uh, lefty that threw four seam fastballs. Hey, try to throw it out there or throw mm. cutters. Right. Hey, I'm good because I know you're not going to beat mm. me in here. So I can just look out and say, let me look for a pitch that starts at me. It's probably going to end over the plate. But when I'm looking for that same pitch and it's possibly going to hit me from those two seam guys, that's where the challenge comes from. Forget it. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. This last one we do is called 9 and 90. Chinch asks, asks us some fun questions. I'll answer first and you just answer off me. Right. Hall of Fame baseball broadcaster Marty Brenneman here. It's time for 9 in 90, the most ridiculous segment in all of sports. All right, gotcha. here we go. This guy's so classy. I got such stupid questions here. I'm a little nervous about it, but I think it'll be good. <laughs> no, all go right, right ahead. Uh, we like it. All right, cool. First one's pretty easy, Case. America's Got Talent or American Idol? I like America's uh, Got Talent. Better than American Idol. Really? Yeah. You too. Wow. America's Got Talent. 
I, I like I like the idol for the first week when you see the bad yes. singers. I don't like to see everyone. <laughs> Me that's too. Good. Me too. And it's, you know? That's good. All right, here's a tougher one. Case, would you rather have no earlobes or no nipples? Uh, whoa. Uh, you know what? I'd probably, probably rather have uh, uh, no nipples. <laughs> Because no, 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 give me the give me the nipples. Take away. I'll take the earlobes. <laughs> okay. What would it look like? Like uh, like this? You mean? <laughs> yeah, you couldn't get an earring. Oh, that's all right. All right, I'll go with the. Uh, I, I want to keep the my cartilage. Nipples. That's true. All right. So what do you, yeah. Curtis? What do you say? I I got no nipples. That's covered up. Like you can't see them right here. You know. <laughs> all right. Straightforward. I can always keep them covered up. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Case. Take a pick. Batman or Spider Man? Who would you rather be? Uh, you know what? I'd probably rather be Spider-Man. Batman seems like the rich guy. He's trying to like, has nice toys and he's like trying to be a superhero. Spider-Man's like legitimately flying through the freaking city and ripping down the alleys. Uh, I'm Spider-Man. All right. Curtis? I got to go Batman because they filmed the Dark Knight here in Chicago. So I can probably stay oh, at home. Yeah. There you, you know, go. Batman, you know? <laughs> All right. Okay. In honor of our friends here, Saved by the Bell, Casey. Were you on Team Zach Morris or Team AC Slater? Oh, I was a Zach Morris guy. I was definitely really? a Zach Morris. I, AC Slater was way too cool for me. <laughs> <laughs> right, Curtis, big one for you. What do you say? I wasn't a wrestler. That's the only mm. knock. And AC was the wrestler. So, yeah, and Zach had everything. He had a cell phone. Yes. He had the brick cell phone. It was this did. big. Like, I, <laughs> it was awesome. That was so great. I wanted the cell phone. Yes. Yeah. Cellular phone he had back then. Oh, that was a tough one, man. That was when, uh, oh, who was it? Jesse or somebody was uh, took the drugs. To try to stay yep, up. Oh, to speed. We yeah. could talk. We could talk I'm about so this. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, that episode. I remember. I remember. That was great. Okay, all right. Case zoo or aquarium? That was great. Um, zoo or aquarium? Uh, I like I like the zoo. I like the gorillas, apes. The uh, I like the uh, the zebras. Okay, giraffes. Great, Curtis. Yeah, the zoo is cool because sometimes you see animals that in a place that you just can't get on a plane and go to tomorrow. Like, True. oh, this animal is from, you know, Australia. Like, as much as we'd want to go, the chances of me going there tomorrow make it challenging to do so. So I like seeing those animals. That might be hard to see. And even if you go to Australia, you still may not even be able to find one of those animals. So, right? <laughs> I really like True. seeing them at the zoo. <sighs> Great. You're so good at this. All right. Only a few more. Case, what is worse? The friend who always asks you to help them move or a friend who's always showing you pictures of their stupid kids. Uh, you know what? We were just talking about the friend that helps you move yesterday. My buddy Tim McGarvey was like, "Hey, bro, can you help me move this bed?" I'm like, "Yeah, no problem." We put it on the top of our car. We were moving it down the highway. Freaking thing went flying off. I'm like, "Dude, you're gonna pull over the bed?" Just went flying back. So the, the, the friend that asked you to move all the time—it's ridiculous. Right. No one. It has—it has to be the moving because you don't realize how much stuff mm -hmm. people have. Until you get over there and like, and they don't give you a heads up like, oh, it's only no. a little bit. Like you get there, like this yeah. is a little bit. I mean, we're gonna be here for the whole weekend. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then they ordered like one pizza. Bullshit. Part. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. All right, <laughs> Casey. Other than Granderson, name another famous Curtis. Oh, um, uh, wait. Uh, 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 Ice T. Curtis. No. Uh, wrong. No. Wrong. No. 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 <laughs> Oh wait, there's, uh, there's more numbers uh, and less. No, no, fifty cent. Thank 50 you. Cent. There you okay. go. Yeah. Curtis Jackson. Yeah, that's name. Go. I don't think it's Jackson. That's his name. That it's, is it's Curtis Jackson. Jackson. Yes. You can, yes. You went with the letters instead it. of the numbers. All right, Curtis, you can pick one. I'm sure you know this is a lot easier for you. So, so, so I, I had time to think about it. So we got Curtis Blow. Uh huh. Rapper. 
Curtis Blow. We had Chad Curtis. Mm, Chad good Curtis. One. Um, Curtis Conway. Nice. Um, let's see. Who's another one? Um, man, there's got to be some more. Obviously, I got to think of it. Jamie uh, Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis and Tony Jamie Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. Lee Curtis. Yeah. That's good. All right. We got a lot out of that one. A lot more than I thought. Okay. Uh, case, two more. Would you rather be in a real-life version of The Walking Dead or a real-life version of Jurassic Park? Oh, man. You know what? I think Jurassic Park, like, like people turn into the zombies, like, trying to eat me. I, I just... I wouldn't know if my mom or dad or my, you know, my, yeah. my kids are zombies. I don't know who ate them last night, so I have to go with the Jurassic Park. All right. Yeah, I, I'd go Jurassic Park because eventually I could have a pet dinosaur. Yes, you know, I <laughs> agree. Just think how cool that would be. That that oh yeah, I'm out walking my T Rex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. And granted, the one day you don't feed him, that T Rex is gonna eat you, pal. Okay? <laughs> All right, last one in honor of the Grandy Man, who we're so thankful to have here today. Casey, rank these candies from worst to best. Snickers, Everlasting Gobstoppers, or Juji Fruits, whatever you call it. Oh, I'm going to have to go Gobstoppers because it's a guaranteed trip to the dentist. <laughs> wait, wait, well, you said best. What, worst worst is- to best. Worst to best. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gobstoppers, worst. Then Juju Fruits because they're they're kind of in the middle of everything. <laughs> and then Snickers is my favorite candy bar, so they're oh, number one. Wow, I didn't know that. All right. What do you got? So, so I'm going to flip the first two. Juju's first. Yeah. Mm. I, I like other like chewy candies better, um, like Swedish fish yes. or gummy bears mm-hmm. or something like that. The Gobstoppers, I actually didn't mind too much. Mm-hmm. They came in a little yellow box and yeah, they yeah, yeah. colors on the inside. As long as you don't bite you know? it right at the beginning, you're not going to hurt right. yourself too much. Oh, you got to soften it up a little <laughs> yeah. bit. But I would always bite it and look to see if I could see yeah, the get the middle. colors uh-huh. when I go back in. Uh-huh. And, and then, then Snickers. Snickers, if you think about the Snickers, they come in mini, they mm-hmm. come in king size, you get two in a pack. Mm-hmm. They, they, they've given you all the different options that you need. You can freeze them, yep. you can yep. take them out of the fridge, you can eat them fresh. It was great. That was one thing with the, the Tigers, Casey, if you remember, in the back in our food room, we always had those candy bars right there. Oh, yeah. So you could take home food, you could take home pizza, <laughs> and I'd always take home candy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, you get it. That's all. Uh, great job, guys. That's great, Grant. Dude, Grady, you're the best, bro. Really appreciate your time, man. It's you must you must pinch yourself. I mean, even going down your career, bro, you must pinch yourself of how awesome it was and and the great things you do and you know, impacting the community that you will do the rest of your life. But man, it's been a good ride, dude. I look forward to catching up with you here at soon. And I just Chinch and I both really appreciate the time, brother. No problem. Thank you very much. And like I said, I, I could never have imagined. I told you, I thought I'd play for two to three years and, and I was going to take my degree and, and possibly be selling you the next best shoe, Casey, trying to get you to wear our shoe on the field. Like, that was one of my hopes and dreams. Wow. Like, I'd be marketing for one of the big shoe companies out there and I'd be in the clubhouse with wow. you, Casey. But hey, what about this shoe? And what about this club and all that stuff? And they just kept letting me come back for as long as I was able to, which was awesome to think about. The people I've met, such as yourself and all the other teammates we've talked about and the places I've got a chance to travel to, all thanks to this great game. So, so cool. definitely don't take it for granted by any means. Oh. All right, man. Curtis Granderson and the message, have fun. Have fun in baseball. Have fun in life. You're doing it, man. And thanks a lot, brother. We'll Thank talk you. to you soon, Granny. Thank you, brother. Sounds good. Thank you. You all have a good one. Too, man. Do, bro. Oh, and Chinch, I just knew it. I just knew it was going to be so good. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, you know, even his 9 and 90 inches with, like, <laughs> yeah. Snickers bars, you know. That's the that's the business administration double major. Business <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> sharp like one of the smartest dudes probably ever played major Absolutely. baseball. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When your mom's a science teacher and a legit yeah. one, you better be doing well at school and doing your studying. And your dad's a teacher too, so you can see you can see where his upbringing came. You just see the type of people he was surrounded by and what he absorbed by everybody. Because I have not ever, ever, ever heard a single bad word about Curtis Granderson. Have you? Never. Will. Never. And you never will. You never will. No. You never will. I mean, like I played with them for two years mm-hmm. and just one of the most stand-up guys I've ever played with and just and one of the best players I've ever played with. I mean, the guy yeah. was a legit, you know, could had so many tools and was just a game-changing bat, game-changing mm-hmm. outfielder, you know, game-changing base runner. Right. Uh, his speed, all that stuff. So, man, just – it was just – what's cool with going through the, these guys' journeys uh, is – you know, when he starts talking about Jeter, he starts talking mm-hmm. about Miguel Cabrera. He starts talking about, you know, uh, the, the Cespedes and the Mets and the Yankees and the Tigers. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It's a, it's really awesome to hear these guys journey from the journey from, you know, from growing up uh-huh. to University of Illinois, Chicago, to getting drafted to where he's at now. I mean, and like I said, one of the greatest humanitarians yes. the game's ever seen and maybe this country's ever seen. No, I agree. And you know, there's some there's a theme we're starting to get coming that, that I noticed with something that he said, and I know for a fact Kevin Millar said it, and then I I know a couple other guys have said something very similar to, to this, but it's go somewhere and play and prove you're good enough. Because I think it was Millar, he's like, what are you going to go to uh, University of Miami and get zero bats for your first three years? And then exactly. Millar went, where did he go? Lamar. You went to Lamar, Richmond. Yeah. Richmond's great, but like you Dude, didn't go I to play freshman year. Yes, I tell people all the time: go play. Don't don't go to a don't don't go to a college that's number one in the country and start right. your junior year. Right, go play, dominate your freshman sophomore year, get better, develop, yeah, get drafted your junior year if that's what you want. No, and it's a unique sport in that way, is because if you're good enough, you're good enough, no matter what type of competition you're playing against. Because first of all, like this day and age, every team has every team in college i say it right now i bet they have a guy throwing 97 who you face that guy that day you're gonna see if you can handle 97 and i just really do appreciate you know curtis grant is one of the greatest baseball players of the last 25 years i don't care what anybody says overall and 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 he's like i wanted to go play i had to go play and prove that i could play didn't matter what the name on a jersey was what, what what school was i'm gonna get an education and if i'm good enough you'll see me for three or four years and make your judgment on me. I, I love that. Yeah, and then I'll go hit 483 my junior <laughs> yeah, year. And then exactly. make you make a decision. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm just like, 483, third round? Like, what are we doing here? What, yeah. what, what, are, the, what are the teams looking at first and second round? How is that possible? I know, it's amazing. Anyway, well, he was great. We knew we'd be great. I'm going to put uh, in our YouTube link and um, and uh, all the other stuff, the Apple Podcast, whatever. I'll, I'll put a link to the players. Uh, uh, what is it called? I'll say it again. The players what? Players Union? Players Alliance. Oh, I'm going to put the link in for the Players Alliance and all of that. And uh, so take a look at what they're doing with that because it's, 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 it's one of the best things going in, in all of sports, what he and uh, CeCe and all those guys, Cameron Maven, are doing. No, big time, dude. That, they're, they're, doing, they're making an impact. And mm-hmm. like you said, they're, they're, they're bringing people on board that are all also joining with them, not just mm-hmm. giving them a check. They're joining with right. them to make an impact for, uh, you know, for the kids and, yeah. Yeah, you know, to get to play baseball a lot more of the black youth to come out and start getting the game of major league baseball. Um, Really awesome. And Chich, I I think too, like for all of our fans out there that are listening, check out our YouTube page and really subscribe, like us. But more importantly, we we feel like we put a good show on too visually. Yeah. To see these guys, to see these guys on and you know, it's really, for us, it's really cool. So 
If you listen to us on, you know, on just a podcast platform, go check us out on YouTube. And and, and I think you really you really like what you see. Yeah, thanks. Please do. I, I totally agree. Great point, Casey. Cheech puts in a lot of hard work. <laughs> I know. People, please I'm, help us out. I know. I'm Cheech grinding. has busted his ass. I am officially. I said it was my birthday the other day, and I go, I am officially the guy that sits in his basement and on his computer all day. But <laughs> but I'm putting the show together. So but yeah. yeah, check it out. Check it out. We put a lot of work into that, and it's fun. And you'll get a visual that you don't really get. You got to see. If you just listen to the podcast, you don't understand. Like, Casey's last, it's like Santa Claus when you're watching a person. <laughs> his body moves. It's great. You can see him right now grinding along with his one arm here because he's in a sling. You don't get to see that on an Apple podcast. No offense, Apple podcast. We still love you, too. So. That's it, it man. It. All right. All right, Chigi. Love you, buddy. Hey, stay grateful out there, everybody. We're all grateful you guys are uh, uh, listening to us. And subscribe, download, do all that good stuff. I'll see you next week, Chigi. Thanks, brother. Chinch, support this week for the mayor's office is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0, baby. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code the Mayor at manscaped.com. I tell you what, though, I love these things, Chinch. I've had them. I've had Manscaped 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, and this is the 4.0. This one has a new sleek design. It's perfect for guys like me, though, dude. I'm one of the hairiest guys going. That's a fact. And for, and as the fact. And forever, man, forever, I've been looking for the best trimmers. Even going way back years when I was playing, I'd always nick myself up, cut myself as the worst. These trimmers right here, man, they are the best. They are the absolute best. Trims up my back, trims up my arm, the jewels, whatever it takes. Yeah. But this trimmer is the absolute best. The 4.0, the lawnmower from Manscaped. I can vouch for that. I know Sean wears a sweater 24 hours a day, <laughs> 365 days a year, and he needs this. He sent me one. I'm so psyched. I shave with it. That's how good got, it is. That's how yeah, good and Chinch, I've tried every, every one you can try. Every clipper you could possibly buy, I've tried. Yeah. This by far is the best. Yeah, Sean puts a clipper on his it, – it'll break the clippers, but not the manscaper. Yeah. So Every, everyone, everyone should have this, bro. Everyone yeah, well, should have one of these. They absolutely should. So here's how you get it, okay? You get 20% off and free shipping with the code the mayor, right, Sean? The mayor yes. at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping, manscaped.com, and use the code the mayor. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And you can look as clean as Casey does now. When he, <laughs> when he doesn't use a Manscaper, it's like Sasquatch. There's the, the people call cops. Unbelievable. Lawnmower 4.0. Go get it. It's unbelievable, Chinch. <laughs> Do it.